Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Zuki Stewart from Playfield, a startup helping organizations to enable everyone to rediscover their creativity through playful wonder and serendipity. And I'm Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play, an organization on a mission to use the power of play to unlock potential and possibility. Together, we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping work as play. Today, I'm speaking with Catherine Price, an award-winning science writer, speaker, workshop leader, consultant, and the author of books, including The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again, and How to Break Up with Your Phone, The 30-Day Plan to Take Back Your Life. On a mission to help people scroll less, live more, and have fun, Catherine is also the founder of ScreenLifeBalance.com, a resource hub dedicated to helping people create more intentional relationships with technology and reconnect with what really matters to them in life. Kevin Ruse of the New York Times once referred to Catherine as the Marie Kondo of brains. As a speaker, she has presented and led workshops for companies and organizations including TED, South by Southwest, Hyatt, Intel, Penguin Random House, Salesforce and HubSpot, among many others. Catherine's TED Talk on fun was the second most viewed TED Talk for all of 2022. And in what she describes as a life highlight, she once led a virtual workshop on joy with the mighty Oprah Winfrey. You can find Catherine's journalistic work in a number of publications, including the Best American Science Writing, the New York Times and the Washington Post magazine. She's also the host of Advances in Care, a podcast featuring cutting-edge work being done by the doctors at New York Presbyterian. Today, we talk about simple ways to spark playful curiosity, how to seek out playmates, and the power of asking different questions. So Catherine, tell me about what does the word play mean to you? I think play is actually a really hard word to define, especially for adults, because it feels so foreign. But when I think of the word play, I think what comes to mind is a feeling of freedom and a feeling of not caring too much about the outcome of things. So the attempt to let go of perfectionism, I think it's very much tied in with fun. But this feeling really of not being self-conscious, letting yourself be your true self and doing things just for the sake of doing them. Um, that's, I think, what what comes up for me. I think it's so important. I think play is absolutely essential for people of all ages. And one thing I've been thinking a lot recently myself is that in terms of relationships and friendships, the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones that have some element of play in them. You know, for me, like bantering is a form of play. And if someone can't banter with me, then it's going to be difficult for me to be friends with them. That, I think, is a main way that I play. I feel like I've entered a period of my life where when dinner parties are a thing, right? And I love dinner parties. I love great food and great conversation. And I found myself craving something to be injected in those interactions. It's like we're all signing up for this very kind of grown up, quite formal interaction. And I, I, I'm, I would love that injection of, of play as you talk about. And I, I, yeah, I love you always saying that the, the interplay, no, no pun intended, between kind of friendship and play and how important play is and sustaining friendship. Um, but I feel like it's not a given in friendships and it's not a given in kind of adult interaction. And you, I, I'm no. really seeking it and craving it. I, and I think it's so much more enjoyable when that happens. I don't know if you've read The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. <laughs> read it last January and it completely trans- changed my life actually i love hosting and i've been people together and i've never felt so seen by my friend who gave it to me amazing what, why did you yes. mention that book well i mentioned that book because priya parker is an expert as you know in the art of well the art of gathering and bringing people together and she talks a lot about how the best I think the quote is like the best gatherings are those the, the gatherings that sparkle and flourish as she says are the ones that have some kind of intentionality in them that the host actually took the time to think how am i going to make guests feel comfortable and one of the way and and to interact with each other in a way that doesn't just feel like normal small talk where you kind of know where the conversation's going from the moment it begins and you're kind of both enduring it and she talks about the importance of having things to talk about and how to inject kind of this what if her described as playful curiosity into a social gathering so that's something i've actually tried to do myself when we've hosted gatherings ever since i read that book is to give people 
I think of it as like almost like a handhold for a conversation, like it's a rock climbing wall, like something to hang off of or something to bounce, right? Like to bounce off of. Because there's certain people you interact with where it's kind of like a conversational brick wall, you know, where you could say something and then it just dies. And I find that to be so exhausting and I always think it's like my fault, but I think it's that we need to actually get in the practice of asking interesting questions. All this is to say that one thing that we've started, my husband and I, experimenting with is when we do host parties, like giving people an ice-breaking question to ask, even if it's something really simple, like we have a fall party that we host every year in this community garden near our house. And so I normally have people wear name tags, which might seem, I don't know, some people are like, oh, name tags. But I'm like, you know what? We don't see everyone that frequently and they don't know each other. And it actually makes it easier. But then I'll also have people put something on the name tag that's like, for example, tell me, what's your favorite thing about fall? And then people will write their name and this little thing that's their favorite thing about fall. And just that enables people to have a conversation that goes beyond the normal kind of, oh, how do you know the hosts? How long have you lived in the city? Oh, you've got kids. How old are they? Oh, where do they go to school? Oh, and like, oh my God, shoot me. Like, it's just so boring. But actually, I've been thinking a lot about playful curiosity and and how to ask those questions um, because of this Funtervention project I've been doing, which I could tell you more about. But one of the things that I did during these workshops that uh, this group that I've been working with that they prompted us to do is to come up with playful conversation starters. All of this is to say that I've started a lot of conversations recently by asking people if they think a hot dog is a sandwich. And <laughs> exactly. It's a very good litmus test also for who you can be friends with because if they don't have the reaction you just had, it's probably not going to work. But it's like, or there was one that was like, do you think that your cat would kill you in your sleep if it could? Uh, right. We were just talking about Bria Parker and posing amazing questions that can transcend small talk. And I was like, yeah, must must be better at the big questions. And then you're like, it's a hot dog a sandwich. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Right. We went, we went through that. But what a great, oh, it's amazing to meet another fan of Priya Parker's book, which I found transformative when I read it. And it's just such a timely reminder. I love the example of your full party. Um, you know what hold me back? I, I'm anxious that if I were to host a, 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 you know, a dinner party and I would go out there on a bit of a limb and say, you know what? We're not going to do small talk. We're not going to sit boy, girl, boy, girl and talk about where we're going on holiday. Actually, I'm going to throw out some big questions or some playful questions or whatever it is and just see where it goes. And, I have a fear that people are just not going to be down for it. And they're going to be like, this is, this is an awful party and I hate this. What, what's <laughs> been your, I mean, maybe that's people I know, but, but what's been your experience? Do people, and I know people are like, wow, could you be more generic in your terms? But do you find in, are people willing to engage in that? Does it free up the experience or do you find people kind of retreating or feeling uncomfortable? I think it, you know, probably depends on the person, but for the most part, I think most people are really relieved when you give them something to talk about. Or again, when you throw them, it's like pitching a, throwing a pitch in a game of softball or something. Like you're giving them something to respond to and it takes the pressure off. And people like answering questions, especially if it's about themselves. (laughs) So I actually think for most people, it feels like a gift. And then you actually then have something fun to talk about and just go in a different direction. But it doesn't need to be as overtly silly as those two questions I just posed, there was actually someone who came up to me recently and said, what what have you been thinking about recently? Which I was like, ooh, this person was a professor. So I would think in a theater kind of person. But I was like, well, that's really interesting. And I was like, I've been thinking a lot about connection recently. That's what I've been thinking about. And we immediately transcended just this, how have you been? You know, it's someone I don't know that well, or it's just acquaintances, but it immediately brought the conversation to this deeper, more, enjoyable, thought-provoking level. So I think you got to read the situation, obviously. But in many cases, people are actually really relieved when you give them something to talk about. And refreshed. And, you know, you're inviting, as you say, a different connection to conversation that, you know, if I'm craving, I can't be be the only person that is craving that. Oh, I'm so glad to have had the reminder, the boost to get back into Art of Gathering and just, come on, have the gumption to do it. Oh, no, I was also just going to say... um. I think another way to get people to connect in that way in a more playful way is mm. to have experiences with each other. So even if it's getting people to help with some aspect of, you know, making dinner, if you're having a dinner party or just doing something together in general, you know, so often companies in particular will just have happy hours, which is like such a weird thing because it's just inviting people to spend more time at work, like drinking together, which is not really a great idea in many ways. Instead of actually having a shared experience, because when people are doing something or learning something together, 
then they they interact in a totally different way. I think that's why escape rooms were so popular, at least before yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I love it when you see people who like to or, or used to feel like experts in what they do and suddenly they're in a new environment or having to learn something they know nothing about. And I think it's often freeing to kind of be like, whoa, I, I'm a complete beginner at this and I don't have to come as this kind of expert at something. Mm -hmm. And and it's not quite what you just said about learning something new, but when you talk about experiences, it brought to mind from, from Priya's book around, um, she talks about having a, a kind of a principle where you serve your neighbor, their, mm -hmm. their food, and no one serves themselves and you serve your neighbor. And that's such a micro act of just servitude and engagement and, and generosity and thoughtfulness in kind of how much they want. What would they like? You have, I don't know. I just love that small act. And I think that's just, Small example of something, if you were to have, you know, as I say, around a table and say, no one's allowed to put food in their own plate, your, your neighbor, you know, you serve your neighbor and that's your first kind of you Well, that, I've forgotten that detail in her book, but yeah, that actually reminds me of something that you just touched on, which is like feeling seen when you actually read Priya Parker's book, because I think that that fundamentally is what we all want is to be seen. And then actually these little small acts of caring or playfulness or just being actually inquisitive about a person, even if it's their thoughts on whether a hot dog is a sandwich, but something where people actually feel appreciated and engaged. That's really quite meaningful. I think that's one of the biggest powers of play and fun is actually helping us connect as human beings and feel like someone else cares. Absolutely. And, and to yeah, give you a, a key to doing that, or, or you, and you touched upon it earlier, around kind of accelerating when that professor said, what have you been thinking about? It's like fast track to just really interesting connection you didn't take weeks or months ambling your way there getting to know each other a bit better you just kind of went straight there and i love that's how i feel the power of play it kind of accelerates and fast tracks that beautiful moment of connection and it was so funny in that context is that it happened when i was at a concert and my guitar my guitar teacher had a show and we were at this show together and he turns and asked me that question i said i've been thinking a lot about connection and within like 30 seconds we discovered that we both really love swing dancing which i never would have come up if it was like how was your day and then had a really fun moment where it was like, wait a second, why don't we do, why don't, like, why don't we dance to this song? And then it was like, you know, this person I don't know well at all. And it was just a really, really nice moment of connection that came from that different question that he asked. So I think you just never know where it might lead, but it's certainly going to lead to somewhere more interesting than typical small talk. When you talked about what play means to you, I heard, you know, words like freedom and kind of how play can feel. And I'm wondering about your own kind of play and how you like to play, whether that's through activities or experiences or I don't know what, but do you recognize your younger self and how your own kind of play shows up? Today? Do you see that line of continuity between grown-up, responsible, professional Catherine and the, the child that you were, or has it really evolved? I see both. I was really shy and introverted as a child, so some of the ways I play now are not. Like right now, I would say one of my main forms of play is just bantering with people and um, having playful conversations. And so when I was a kid, that was not what I was doing because I wouldn't talk to anybody. <laughs> so that's changed. I would also say, though, that physical movement has been a form of play for me. And that has been true for my whole life. Just, you know, let me to do cartwheels and just use my body like dancing. Um, so that's been pretty consistent. And then right now, probably my biggest form of play that doesn't involve conversation is through music. Um, which is related to childhood in the sense that I learned, started learning how to play the piano when I was around five or six. But actually, it's very interesting for me to reflect that it wasn't really a form of play in the way that it is now for me as a child, because I was always doing it alone, not for recitals or anything. Like there wasn't like a purpose behind learning music for me. It was for the sake of learning it. So there was that aspect of, I guess, an inherent bit of playfulness there. But when I started actually getting together with friends and playing music together, the experience was totally different from playing the music alone. And that dynamic and that feeling of creating music with other people is one of my most treasured forms of play now. But it switches really quickly if there's a goal to it, which I've been thinking a lot about. So if you put a goal to it, then it's not as playful and it's not as much fun for me. It has to have this element of doing it for the sake of that moment refreshing to hear i think so we have really quite strongly held ideas of what play looks like and how it manifests and it's typically by lots of laughter lots of joking kind of group activity 
it doesn't have to look like something or be a particular activity and just be between two. Yeah, I think that that definitely you can bring playfulness to anything, though. And I think that's something that we as adults often forget, too, is that you think play has to be separate from work or that play doesn't have a space at work. It's almost inappropriate or irresponsible to be playful. Also, adults just tend to assume that, you know, when I talk about fun and I talk about playfulness, people tense up because they're like, no, I'm a responsible, serious adult. I, I'm, you know, play is for kids. And it often there's often an assumption that only certain activities qualify as play, that the yeah. play is in the activity. And I think the same thing is true for fun. People think it's an activity that's fun. But really, both of those things are the attitude and the feeling that result from certain things. And both playful, I, I believe that playfulness is a component of fun. But I think that both yeah. fun and playfulness actually bring us together closer as human beings. And anytime you do that, you're going to be more efficient at whatever you're doing. You're also going to enjoy yourself more. I mean, it just everything kind of builds on itself. It leads in a very positive direction. I was also going to say in terms of, well, one way I think that play can really help us is that if you can convince your brain that it's playing, it's going to stick with things longer, which is a kind of a separate subject if you want to talk about fun and, and play at work. But it's really interesting to me that when you're playing, one of the characteristics that I about plays you don't want to stop it's a activity that is very intrinsically motivating you don't have to use willpower to keep playing if you do have to use willpower to keep doing some activity that's being marketed to you as play then it's not play don't play <laughs> you know so if you can tap into the feeling of play when you're doing something work related well that's wonderful i mean there have been i remember looking up a study where they were measuring how long kids were willing to wait for something and in the control group, they were just told to wait. And then they had another group where they were told to pretend that they were guards at a, I don't know where, if it was a factory or a prison, what they were guarding. They were guarding something, but the idea being it was a game. And those kids were able to wait for longer and, you know, push off delayed gratification because it was in the framework of a game. So you just said about how, again, we tend to have as as adults, this kind of preconceived notion that work and play got to be separate, you know, work hard, play hard. And I think we both believe that's not the case. But do you think in, in your amazing book, The Power of Fun, you talk about this concept of true fun and, you know, the components of it, playfulness, flow and connectedness. Do you think it is possible to have true fun at work? Like what's needed to make that happen? I think it's definitely possible to have true fun at work and really in nearly any context, because it's very much the attitude you bring to it and what your what feelings you're kind of pulling out or trying to highlight. So one of the things I like about defining true fun is this confluence of playfulness and connection and flow is that it makes it actually very mundane in a way. I think one misperception people have about fun in particular is that it only can happen if you're outside of your normal life. Like you go on vacation to have fun. You go out to dinner with friends to have fun. You don't have fun at work. But if you start to recognize that fun is any moment when these three states coincide, playfulness and connection and flow, you might start to notice you're having little micro moments of that throughout your everyday life already. I mean, even in a passing conversation you have with someone on the street, like you can have a moment of playful connected flow and therefore that was a moment of fun. And I recently witnessed how you can actually have fun on a work Zoom call. Believe it or not, guys. Um, more about this. Yes. So to back up, I have gotten into the habit slash tradition of doing a February fun intervention for people in my Screen Life Balance community, which, by the way, anyone can be a part of. Just sign up for my newsletter and you'll get the invites. But the first year I did kind of just like interviews with authors whom I admired, whose work had something to do with fun. But this year I actually teamed up with this group, Funmentum Labs, and we led these live workshops about the three elements of fun because Funmentum Labs is specifically dedicated to using purposeful play as they talk about it to build connection and collaboration and productivity and creativity at work. And it was amazing to see that it was possible over the course of a 60 minute Zoom call to start with just a group of strangers and through various exercises and games that we went through together to end up in a situation where by the end of the call, people were laughing. They were talking about how much affection they had for their breakout room partner. By the end of the four-week fun intervention, we actually had one woman who'd been on these calls for all four of the week tell us that she had been inspired by these calls to actually share her love of baking with her work colleagues. And she had been bringing in these baked goods to her office. And she said not only had that led to all these playful conversations with her colleagues, but then 
she said one of her colleagues had actually been inspired. I don't really remember why the connection was what it was. But anyway, this guy painted her a painting because she had been baking things. And she holds up this like beautiful painting that her coworker had given her um, just as a result of these playful interactions and, and the fact that she was prioritizing play and fun and sharing this part of her personal life with colleagues. So the reason I bring that up, not only because it was just this lovely moment, but also because she was now closer with this person she worked with and was having these conversations that she never would have had otherwise. And in that case, maybe the outcome was just that they had this like kind of nice personal moment. But I've heard a lot of other stories where people actually reach out to someone in a different department or they ask an interesting question to a colleague um, that's somewhat unusual, whether it's like a playful question like the ones we were talking about or just reaching out to someone saying, hey, can I bounce an idea off of you? for five minutes and doing that, where having this kind of openness and this playful spirit actually created connections between people who didn't normally work together and also really opened people up to brainstorming together and finding new solutions to problems. So all that is to say, I think that playfulness brings us closer to other people, creates these meaningful connections. And the more of those you have, the easier it's going to be to collaborate and to come up with new ideas and you'll also enjoy what you're working on. And that makes you more efficient because you're not trying to force yourself to stick with something if you're enjoying it. So I think we're thinking about play and work entirely wrong. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, please point me to an organization that does not want the things you've just described, right? Of people wanting to bounce ideas off each other, collaborate, get into the flow, be more productive, enjoy what they're doing more, be more engaged. I mean, yeah, that, that and that's what I think is that of traditional quote-unquote or conventional businesses are missing out so much with the kind of ability on the on the negative end or even just discomfort with this idea of bringing play into work and there's a lot of fear around what happens if we do that do we just people out of control they're having so much fun that we never get to rein them back in and get the work done well it's just so short-sighted so it was interesting to me to reflect on this fun intervention and this theme of fun at work, because one question I get all the time when I talk about fun is how can we have more fun at work? And also, is it even appropriate to have fun at work? Let me just call. And I normally answer in the sense of like, yes, it is possible to have fun at work and we should be having fun at work. But it hadn't, doing this fun intervention made me also realize there's actually a way to use fun and play to make work more effective. So there's like two different ways, like you're enjoying yourself more and that itself is great, but you can actually use some tools of fun and of playfulness in particular to help with work. And that's something I think people have not appreciated at all as much as they should. So just to give two examples of things that came out of this intervention workshop, one was that we, as I alluded to earlier, brainstormed playful questions um, that we could use to get to know people in less conventional ways. And that was fun in and of itself to brainstorm questions to ask. But then we actually asked people if they had tried any of these things. And a number of people said, yes, they had been using the first five minutes of meetings to ask people one of these questions. And that as a result, not only did people kind of laugh and feel this connection with each other more at the beginning of the meeting, but the meeting itself ended up feeling more focused and more efficient and more productive and creative because there had been this moment of playful connection at the beginning. So it's interesting to think that not only was it kind of just fun to, like, for example, another one of the questions is, what's the last internet rabbit hole you fell down? You know, just like you just learn something interesting about your colleague, but that the act of sharing actually creates probably a biochemical response in our bodies that makes us so that we're in a state where we're actually able to be more efficient. So that was really interesting. Another exercise that the Fundamentum Labs people introduced that I loved was this idea of using playfulness to generate ideas. So they had this ex exercise called Worst First, which basically was that, you know, if you're trying to brainstorm, say the, the example one of the guys gave is like, say you're a marketing company, you're trying to come up with like marketing slogans for the holidays and you're trying to brainstorm. There's a lot of pressure. You're like worried about saying your ideas in front of the group. What if it's bad? Also, your brain is, your inner critic is really engaged and telling you like, oh, that's a bad idea, like throwing out all these things before you even say it out loud. So their approach instead is to challenge people to get into small groups or on your own and spend like five minutes trying to come up with 30 horrible ideas, yeah. the worst ideas you possibly can. The worst, the worse they are, the better. And we did this as a group with the question of how do you, how can you create more of a sense of bonding when you have Zoom meetings and you're working remotely 
you know, basically what everybody's struggling with now. And so then we put people in a breakout rooms and some of the responses people gave were just hilarious. It was like, oh, well, you should just, you should make it mandatory that everyone leaves their microphone on at all times. No one gets to mute anything or like everyone has to show their least suitable for work photo with everyone on their team. Or, you know, you start every Zoom meeting by making a comment about each person's physical appearance, right? Like horrible ideas. And people were laughing as they were even sharing this afterwards. But the point was not just that that kind of like opens you up and it's kind of funny, right? Anything with laughter is going to be so bonding. But then the next step was, okay, look at this list of 30 ideas that you came up with because you're trying to come up with horrible ones and ask yourself, are there the seeds for any good ideas in there? You know, is there anything that actually could be used yeah. and kind of spun in some way to make it a good idea. And that was a really interesting process because people came away with actual ideas. And then we then compiled those ideas and voted on some of our favorites. And what I thought was very interesting about that approach was that you're taking a playful exercise that's fun to do. It brought people closer and it was enjoyable. And that generating lots of ideas, so you're kind of diverging, like getting bigger. This big, And then you bring it back together. So you're like, okay, let's take what we've created and bring it back in focus and see if there's anything usable here. So this was all within like, you know, 10 or 10 minutes or so that we were able to come up with some solid ideas and had a good time doing it and felt closer together, even though in a very meta level, we were on a Zoom call with strangers, total strangers, not even people who work together. So that I thought was just a powerful example of how play and fun can be employed on multiple levels to make work go better and also be more enjoyable. And I think you've touched upon this a lot already, but you've been talking about, as you say, Zoom calls, a lot of us hybrid working these days. What are your reflections on how technology and hybrid working impact component parts in a work setting, for, for, for good or for bad? What are your reflections on I think that it's been really challenging to create fun and play over over Zoom. I'm not saying, though, that we really had much of that when we were all working I was going to say, person. yeah, where, where were we starting? Yeah, we I think a lot of it in person. Whatever happened in person was kind of serendipitous and not necessarily that thought out in most circumstances. But then when you take a, a lot of that serendipity is dependent on having interactions with people in real life where you just happen to run into a colleague and then you have a you know, enjoyable conversation or you're like, go and grab coffee or whatever it might be, those little interstitial moments in your day. But then you take that away and suddenly, in many cases, from companies I've, I've spoken for, you know, people will say a lot of our workforce hasn't even met each other. Like they never knew each other in person, which is kind of a crazy place to be. So I think you have double challenges in the virtual world. First of all, it's just not the same as being in person. Like there's a reason that everyone's sick of Zoom calls. And then you also have the challenge of being potentially in a situation where people never have met each other face to face. But I think was what was inspiring to me about this contravention experience is that it showed that if you actually are more intentional about how you gather people, going back to Priya Parker, um, and what kind of structures you give people and what kind, like how you use technology. For example, Zoom allowed us to do breakout rooms. Very interesting to see how many people immediately left the meeting when breakout rooms were mentioned because they were like, oh, no, 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 I was here just to listen. But the people who stuck around really found it valuable. And, you know, I spoke to one person who's a total introvert afterwards, and she was like, yeah, it was a little hard to get over myself and be in that breakout room, but I did it and it actually was enjoyable. And then she said it actually made me less self-conscious the next time she was in a context when there was a breakout room. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's ways to use technology better that could actually give us opportunities we don't have when we're in person. But with that said, I do think nearly always in person is better. Uh, I had a really interesting experience the other day when I was like, working on a client and um, we were going to do a, a virtual session and I was going to break out and their entire company, their, their kind of IT settings, vented breakouts in meetings. Oh. Was, like the default setting. And I was like, well, can we get that overridden? And we had to kind of go to the central IT team and kind of get it disabled on my own um, login so that I could create breakouts. And I just thought, wow, that breakouts can be so powerful for exactly the reason. They can feel uncomfortable when you're not used to them, but they have so much power to just have the intimacy into that you're never going to get the kind of sharing in a huge, you know, in the round. And I just thought, gosh, you've just sort of that. And, and you're missing out on that just with this default blanket rule that we're just never going to use. But I love right, that. Right. 
But it's also because you, if you stick someone in a breakout room and you don't tell them what to do, then of course it's going to be awkward. Yeah. And of course you're not going to want to do it and it won't lead to anything useful. You, I think it goes back to what we were talking about, the conversational props. Really, what we're talking about is giving the structure to interactions of some sort. I think of them actually in the conversational setting as being playgrounds of like, and Priya Parker talks about this as well, but I was reading a lot of research about play when I was writing my book and just the idea that there's there's kind of a, if you're in an environment where there's a set of rules that govern your behavior, it actually is very freeing. Like everybody knows if you're in a literal playground that it's okay to hang upside down on the monkey bars, right? It'd be like kind of weird if you did that on scaffolding on the street, like get some looks. But there's like ways that we give you can have rules and structure give people permission to be playful in different contexts. I mean, in some sense, it's quite serious context can also be this kind of playground, the structured thing. There's a way to behave in a courtroom. There's a way to behave in a restaurant. We are in these kind of situations all the time, but it's very comforting and freeing actually to know what the expectations are. And so if you go to a breakout room and you're like, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know what the yeah. goal is. I don't know what we're supposed to be talking about. That's going to be super awkward. If you go into a breakout room and someone has told you your goal is to spend the next five minutes coming up with 30 horrible ideas for how to bond over a Zoom call, then you can hit the ground running, you know, and then you have a way to actually make it into a productive and enjoyable experience. Sticking with this idea of experiencing true fun within a work setting, you talk about, uh, again, in The Power of Fun, your, your fun squad research. And I wonder how many people kind of cited an experience at work as example. Did that come up much or was that quite alien as an idea for people? Geez, I got to think back on this. I mean, what you're alluding to is, yeah, when I was writing The Power of Fun, I got a huge, like a bunch of volunteers from my mailing list to fill out all these surveys for me about moments that stood out to them as having been truly fun before even offering them a potential definition because I was trying to nail down a definition of fun, like a creative definition of fun because there really wasn't a good one. And so I asked people to tell me stories from their own lives that they would describe as having been, quote, so fun. That's how I phrased it. And I collected three from each person. And then I asked people to tell me to describe an experience they wish they could participate in or play in that they think would also result in fun. And I did that because I actually sent this survey out in August of 2020. So it was still very much in lockdown. So people actually, it was kind of sad. People were telling me about things that had been fun. And it was like, that's not going to happen now. So I don't remember off the top of my head the breakdown of all these there's thousands of them at this point i will say though that it did stand out to me that i don't have any memories of any that were on screens no one was like i was on instagram and it was so fun um i just think that there were some people who did have fun with colleagues but were often surprised by it but yeah i would say the vast majority of stories people were not associating with um, time at work which is really too bad but i think also if you then ask people you like you just don't think to think about work as having had a moment of fun. But if you ask people, did you ever experience this? Then they might be like, oh yeah, there was that time when actually we were working on a project and we were staying up late and like, you know, it was really hard and challenging, but we also ordered takeout and like we actually, I got to know my colleague in a different way and we laughed a lot and it was really a bonding experience. So I think, I think it probably does happen, but we're not calling it out as fun. As you've been talking about kind of the, the amazing impact that play can have on our work and on our work experiences if we let it in, I'm a big advocate of blending work and play, but I think that probably accounts of you as well that I'm keen to irrigate a little bit. And it's in your book, you talk about consumer culture, creating a situation where we work, you know, more and more to buy more things, then eat further, you know, that eats further into our leisure time when we could be, you know, playing more if we, if we put it into that leisure time. Do you think we should, in fact, be trying to make work more playful? Or does it detract from true fun by kind of sucking us further and further into work? Are we kind of work obsessed already? And, and we're, you know, it's trying to make it more playful, attracting in any way. I don't really think so. I think that it makes it more enjoyable and fun and then makes it more efficient. So you can actually save time because you don't feel like you're grinding away. So I actually think the more, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to be inappropriate, but. <laughs> I mean, a playful attitude at work, I think, is beneficial pretty much in every way. But I also think we could stand to build more of that into our leisure time, too, because even though theoretically that's time for play, play is an interactive experience. But most of us spend a lot of our leisure time just kind of sitting alone watching TV. So I think we could do a better job in all regards there. And it would make our leisure time better, our relationships better, really everything better. And also, I would say that when you're playful, you're totally focused. 
Like you can't really be just, well, certainly for fun, you can't be distracted and be having fun because I think that being in flow is a component of fun as in the state of being totally engaged and present in your current experience. But I would argue that in order to really play, you have to be present too, because you have to be responding to things, whether it's a game, you know, if you're checking your phone and you're playing tennis, you're going to get hit in the head with a ball. But like, if you're in a conversation and you're, and you're having a playful conversation with someone, if you're not listening to what they're saying and paying attention and remembering it, then you can't make fallbacks to things. You can't make jokes. You, they're going to not really feel very connected to you. Oh, on that, for you as an individual, when did you last feel playful? And I ask that in kind of full knowledge that you are, you know, you are busy, you've got a lot of work on, you've got, I think, certainly one little girl. From, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you've got parenting, you know, parenting responsibilities. And the, the, what I hear a lot is, oh, I, there's just too much to do. You know, if I'm playing, I'm not being, you know, I'm not fulfilling my responsibilities elsewhere. And so I'm always keen to understand from just successful, busy people that with a lot on their plate, how do you, do you actively carve out time for it? Or is it just this kind of lens that you're trying to approach your life with? When did you feel playful? Give me examples of when you mm-hmm. found yourself in that way. Yeah. Well, I think you're actually touching on, I think, a fundamentally issue we have when it comes to play and it's fun but it works well with play just the way you're talking about it there we think of playing as a verb but i think we should think about it as an adjective so that it, in other words the difference between playing and being playful i think there's a way to play verb in many aspects of life but that in the sense of being playful but i think people think like oh i have to sit down and play like i'm gonna play a game of chess well that's a commitment you're really busy when are you gonna play chess i don't know personally have no interest in chess doesn't sound very fun at all to me but you can be playful about everything you can be playful about cooking dinner you can be playful about how you fold the laundry like I think I know one of the things that made me and makes me love my husband the, the one of his primary characteristics is playfulness so I would say that I'm playful all the time every time I interact with him and if we're not being playful then something's wrong <laughs> so I would say in terms of like when have I recently been playful I mean just this morning, I had a walk with a friend with a really playful conversation. I also had, I mean, lots of moments, but like another that stands out is I was playing music with friends the other day. So I was literally playing and a friend of mine offered, because he knew, speaking of feeling seen, knew that I would find it very fun if we were to try <laughs> play this Carrie Underwood song called Before He Cheats, which I recommend that people look up if they haven't heard it. It's a fun song. Part of this song. It's a fun, it's from like the early 2000s. Anyway, um, it's obviously originally sung by a woman about a guy cheating, but my friend sang it who's a guy and he, he like went for it and he's like, there's certain notes I can't hit and whatever, but we did it because it was just going to be fun. And so we had a really playful attitude towards playing the song and that was really enjoyable. Um, I've tried to bring more play. I, I don't know, like the other, <laughs> I, as a separate tangential thing, I've been getting, been getting very freaked out by AI and uh, algorithms. I mean, this is something to think about a lot. But so I was playing around with ChatGPT the other day and I asked ChatGPT if it thought that a hot dog was a sandwich. Um, It gave me a super boring answer. And I was like, we'll never be friends. And then I actually said, I said to it, yeah, I was like, that was not a very fun answer. And it was like, I'm sorry, as an AI algorithm, my job is just to, you know, basically aggregate information and present it to you. So a hot dog could be a sandwich. And I was like, boring. So anyway, but I I tried to bring that. Yeah, I don't know. I interviewed two, um, what were they like? Psych- I'm doing a podcast where I interview doctors about their work, totally separate project. And it's been really fun to try to inject playfulness into conversations with, you know, like a reproductive psychiatrist or like someone who's a molecular geneticist. It's like, how can I bring out a bit of playfulness? Because it makes them human. You've got these super smart people, but if you can get them to play with you for a second, it just shows their humanity. I think that's so important. I also think if all of us could play a bit more with each other, the world would be a better place. You've oh. got me ranting now, but it would be because it's, it's it makes fair. us be each other. I love that reflection on the chat GBP, G, GPT. <laughs> Gosh. And you know, when you, you read about, Hey, AI cannot replace humans. And what is it about humans? You know, about creativity or critical thinking. And it's like that playfulness, that spark of playfulness is so, well, I don't know. Is it, is it human or is it 
biological because animals play. You see, you see yeah. that happening all over the animal kingdom. So I don't know. Do we? Do we? I don't think we kind of have ownership of it as humans. But it's no, we definitely kind of biological don't. and and living. Yeah. I would also say I think that you know AI chat. It's gonna be. It's gonna do a better job next time. Like I think it's gonna be a matter of time before you can banter with um, ChatGPT, and that terrifies me. But I will say. Yeah, my research on play, and you no doubt have come across this too. Humans are not the only, obviously, like go to a dog park, like they're masters at play. But I remember reading these really funny references to articles that were like fish that leap, juggle and tease, or like the platypus in play, like all these different animals down to like basically reptiles and maybe even insects, like there's an element of play. I'm always really surprised when, you know, when you read about the theories about why animals play, and it seems like now it doesn't really seem like it's practice for something serious. But I'm always like, wait, guys, like, what if it's just because it's enjoyable? What is the reason that we play? Because people always say, oh, if you're being playful, you're wasting energy that could be put towards the survival of this species. You're not using it to eat or like you're not using it to send off attackers. You're making yourself vulnerable. And I'm like, but you're socially bonding. And for so many animal species, most definitely us, that is actually a survival thing. I think there's a, I think it's fascinating to think about fun and play as actually being evolutionarily important, if not essential, because it connects you to other people, helps you bond together. And it also releases all sorts of feel good chemicals in your body that are good for your health and counteract some of the negative effects of stress hormones. So I, I really, to me, there's like a very clear biological reason to play and have fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to draw this conversation to an end, but I'm going to have to. So you can go to your physical therapy. Um, I also asked you, my physical therapist if he thought a hot dog was a sandwich. This is clearly a what thing. What did you say? Well, he thought it was. And okay. I'm getting confused by everyone's arguments because everyone has a different argument about this. Yeah, he, he felt pretty strongly about it. There's also a very funny clip my husband reminded me of where Stephen Colbert, the late night host here in the States, he interviewed Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the former Supreme Court yeah. justice. Um, and he asked her if she thought a hot dog was a sandwich. And she brilliantly countered with, well, I can't answer that question until you define what a sandwich is, which is oh. like the whole point, Ruth. Anyway. Well, there's rules. Uh, one thing you've just mentioned before I close, I, I just want to go there, is in all the reflections you've been generous enough to share, the word playmate keeps coming to me. Your husband is clearly a huge playmate. The professor you engage with, your bandmate, you can mm -hmm. carry Underwood with. That seems to be a big theme for you is having playmates, finding playmates with whom you can, as you say, you were at the conversation about bantering. What about, I don't know, I feel sad even asking this, but if people are finding it hard to find playmates, like, can you, how do you find them? Or, or can you find, can you play like solo? I, I, what's your, yeah. What do you think about in the absence of playmate? Well, first of all, thank you for noticing that. I, cause I didn't even realize I kept using that word, but it's something I've thought about a lot because I think it's something that's missing for many adults. We have different types of relationships, right? You've got your significant other, you've got your kids, you've got your colleagues, you've got, I don't know, like whatever other relationships we have, but do we have playmates? And some of those people can serve as playmates, but it sounds weird as an adult to be yeah. like, I mean, thanks, Playboy. But like, you know, it sounds like kind of weird to be like, I want to have more playmates. But I was just talking to someone about this this week about how important that is. I think each of us have different levels of need for this. But I personally have a huge need to have people I can just play with. And just going back to your first question, what I think play is, is this feeling of release, letting go of responsibility of not having to be like a professional adult or even to talk. You know, there's sometimes where it's like lovely to catch up with friends in an intimate way, but sometimes you just don't even want to do that. And I've got certain relationships in my life where I realize that we don't really talk about personal stuff that much. And it's really more on the level of just play, of like talking about these, it seems inconsequential questions or subjects or whatever, but the, it's just fodder for a real relationship that comes from play. So you're saying, what do you do if you don't have playmates? Well, I would say, I would say start by actually asking yourself if that's true. Like I actually think of these, it's a variation on something I think of as like fun, kind of like certain people are kind of fun magnets. Like they, you just have more fun when they're around. Those are probably playmates. So if you have any friends where you're like, oh yeah, just consistently have fun. But really anyone who's willing to engage with you where you feel a sense of lightness, I would say, or where you find yourself laughing more than normal, like that's probably a playmate. 
if you don't feel like you have enough people like that, or even if you do, I think that there's a real benefit in having a shared activity, going back to what I was saying before, because it gives you, again, a structure and something to play around. And different people have different activities that are going to generate that or to lead toward to a playful spirit more than others. So it's for some people, it might be an organized sport, like join some kind of soccer club or football club or whatever. Other people might find it in a different type of like class or some kind of, I don't know, anything really like a painting class or there was a foraging group that was meeting here in Philadelphia where I live a while ago. Just something that gives you a, a shared vocabulary because in order to yeah. play, you need to have some kind of material with which to play, right? But it doesn't need to be the traditional like game night. It's really anything you're interested in that you can use to connect with people in a playful manner. And I would say to people to just kind of sample stuff, like make it a priority. We all have more time than we realize, even if we are really busy professionals or we are parents. And I'd say that in part because we're spending, before the pandemic, the best statistics I had were that people were spending upwards of four hours a day on their phone, like just their phone, not their laptop or their tablet or anything, just the phone. That's 60 full days a year. And it's a quarter of your waking life. So I really do think if we were to cut back on some of the things that we objectively know are wastes of time, like scrolling through social media for most people is a waste of time. You actually can carve out time to prioritize play. And then I would just experiment. Try something that's piqued your curiosity, something that you, you used to be into when you were a kid. For me personally, what led to this, this musical community, which is honestly the, the biggest community, most important community in my life right now, was the fact that I cut back on my phone use. I wrote a book called How to Break Up with Your Phone. And I, quote, broke up with my phone, which means I just created a more intentional, healthier relationship. I ended up with more free time. And then I asked myself, well, what's something I say I want to do, but that I supposedly don't have time for? And my answer to that question was learn to play guitar. Because as I mentioned, I played piano since I was a kid. But I didn't, I, I have a guitar my grandmother gave me money for in college. And I was very close with her. And I've always felt kind of guilty I didn't learn to play the guitar. So I was like, I'm going to sign up for a guitar class. And I started going to this Wednesday night guitar class, PYOB. It was other, obviously other adults. It was at a children's music studio. We were playing like the Moana theme song. It was just inherently playful. Like it wasn't just we were playing, but it was playful. And that to this day, like that's what I do on Wednesday nights. Like I happened to hit the bullseye when I first started this. But I would say get out there and experiment and get together with different groups of people doing different things and notice how you feel when you're around them. And if it feels draining and kind of like a chore and you dread going, then you didn't find playmates. But if you you just feel a sense of lightness when you're around them and you find yourself looking forward to getting together, this sounds kind of obvious, but like then you've probably found some good playmates. But you got to think they won't necessarily be the people you're closest to, which I think is something that was important for me to recognize. Like hopefully your close friends have an element of play, but you can also have playmates that you're never going to be super close friends with, you know. I am genuine friends with some of the people from my guitar community now, but there's other situations in which if you took our instruments away, we'd be like, oh, we don't know what we're supposed to talk about. We don't talk. We get together and we play, you know, Lisa Loeb songs. Like, that's what we do. Like, <laughs> so anyway, I'm rambling again. You got me no, going. Yeah, no, I, I love this idea of kind of almost, hopefully, as you say, kind of some loved ones will be natural playmates and that's a, that's a beautiful place to come to. But also, I love this kind of, you could also alleviate that pressure from some of your loved ones and actually, you know, seek out that kind of playmate relationship and, and other people in your life in other ways. And, yeah, something and else value you, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And something else you were reflecting on the conversation, which I'm on and will take away is, again, the word provocation, which sounds not kind of the one I want, but it's like, you can be walking down the street and being playful and you can have a playful connection with a stranger or the person in the cafe when you get a coffee. And it's just... You put little playful invitations out in the world and yeah, just engage well, in small moments of play. It's so easy. Once you start doing it, you realize, oh my God, this actually is not that hard. And people are very responsive to it. So I would say, you know, if there are some people in your life that you don't feel are particularly playful, maybe try being playful with them and see what happens. I mean, they might still not be playful, in which case you, you did your deed and you can move on. But you also might be surprised that actually this person who seemed totally serious has a playful side. That's something I've been finding in these interviews is like when I interview these scientists, they often have a playful, you know, they're playful by nature because playful, playfulness is also kind of curiosity. Yeah. But I think the best analogy for what you were just talking about is, is actually dogs. Like dogs have a very well known what's known as a play signal, which is when they bow and they stick their butts up in the air and wag their tail. Hey. I'm not suggesting we do that. Well, but, I don't know. Although if you did it, right, that's true. If you did that, it probably someone 
<laughs> report back, please. Somebody can't signal. Yeah, exactly. But we all can kind of put ourselves out there in the world in a more playful manner. The first step to that, honestly, is like look up from your phone. You are never going to play with another person or experience this if you're just staring at your phone. And I've just, I've been astonished in my own life, like how easy it is to initiate play and how it almost becomes this habit and how much people respond to it. Like I end up, I'm I'm not trying to strike out conversations with like ride share, like Uber and Lyft drivers, but I keep ending up in these little conversations with them and they're fun because we're essentially just bantering, right? For like five minutes, never going to see them again. Or the other day I was in an art gallery seeing an exhibit and there was this guy who was doing this like weird thing with his, he was making a telescope out of his hand and looking through it. And my friend and I were like, what's that guy doing? And I was like, why don't we just ask him? And I went up and asked this guy, like, what are you doing? It turned out he was just nearsighted and he was trying to focus. But we ended up having this like playful moment and it inspired me and my friend to then, I don't know how this happened. We ended up striking up conversations with like eight separate people in this art gallery. Never would have thought to have done that. I feel like there was some kind of, I don't know, serendipitous feeling in the air, but maybe it's because we were just sending off these like openness to other people. And the exhibit itself was great. I really enjoyed it. But what I really remember from that afternoon is like having these little playful moments with other people. So in my mind, like that's what makes life worth living and we should be prioritizing it. And it also happens to have all these benefits in terms of how we collaborate and work with other people. But fundamentally, it makes us feel happy and it makes us feel alive. Thank you for such a gorgeous, uplifting conversation to end my week. Um, I'm going to have to draw it to a close because we're already over time and you've been oh. generous enough as it is. Is there anything I haven't asked you which, which you wish I had? Oh, man. Uh, I clearly, <laughs> we could clearly talk for a long time. I think the thing I would say is I would just invite people. I know I kept talking about the fun intervention in this conversation. Yeah. The people that I was running these fun interventions with from Fomentum Labs and I, we were so inspired by the experience. We actually decided to do this as a monthly thing. So if anyone is interested, they're free and it's going to be the first Tuesday of every month. And if you go to screenlifebalance.com, there's information on it. So I'd encourage you to come and invite friends or colleagues or really anybody to join you. And every month we're going to be doing a different hands-on exercise related to exactly what you and I have just been talking about, about some of these more concrete techniques that you can try in the moment and then take with you back to your teams or your family or friends or whatever to use play and use fun to create these moments of connection with people. So I think that's the biggest thing is that I would love to invite people to join us so that we can, you know, continue to all work together to share this with the world. Sounds amazing. Thank you. We'll absolutely put links to all that um, in the show notes. And thank you so much. Thank you for a brilliant conversation, for sharing your reflections and your insights. As you say, I could have gone on and on, um, but I really appreciate your time today. And it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. And thank you. Yes, you too. I was so happy we got to talk and I hope this won't be the last time. So yes, let's stay in touch. So, Lucy, what did you notice about our conversation? Oh, there was loads. I really was inspired by that thought about giving people conversational handholds. So at her her full party, you know, like giving people Mm. a little question to answer. I thought that was so nice and thoughtful and caring and generous. And just a lovely way of shifting people out of the like, boring usual questions and how in doing that you create a completely different dynamic and I just could see so many applications for that at work the way we design meetings at conferences um yeah I thought that's really nice and generous yeah I completely agree I I didn't realize she was um a Priya Parker massive fangirl like I was too so that was <laughs> such a gorgeous <laughs> surprise and we both walked up to that conversation um and clearly we both find kind of intentionality around gatherings um is a is a form of play for us both so that was lovely to meet a kindred spirit um in in that and i completely agree i think a big takeaway for me was this idea of how specificity can be very very freeing and so asking a very specific question that might seem quite odd frees up the conversation to go somewhere else um, and I just love that, that tension between being kind of narrow and specific in, in what you're doing or what you're asking can actually have a very, very freeing function. So I yeah. really, I really like that. 
Yeah. And I've been putting it into practice and people are a bit like confused to start with. Mm. Like I asked somebody the other day what they've been thinking about and they were like, they, they didn't really understand. Like, so I had to explain, but it, then it, you know, it opened up a conversation in a way that we definitely wouldn't have got to had I not asked that question. Mm. It's definitely about, I think for me, how to almost get past that initial, as you say, kind of slightly awkward slightly bamboozled wow wasn't expecting that and kind of goes back to our previous uh, conversation with, with Alison around the the joy of the unexpected but there's often that initial awkwardness um to kind of push past I guess or to move beyond and and it's the same with the kind of the name tags I did she was like gosh it feels so like dorky right to, to give your guests name tags like that that feels really bizarre but again that can just that small act with a little fact about yourself or a little starter question can just spark playful curiosity and give license to different conversations and and actually be really a form of massive generosity to your guests. Um, yeah. But it but it takes that initial slightly uncomfortable. Oh no, we're going to do this, even though it's a bit odd. Um, and I just really found that kind of inspiring, and I, I want to I want to do more of that in my life. Yeah, and my guess is that in doing that, you create a completely different event mm. like I bet the conversations the atmosphere the energy was completely different mm. than mm. it would have been had you just been like so what have you been up to <laughs> yeah, what absolutely. do you do um yeah I nice. I really liked how she widened the scope of the conversation that we had kind of beyond play at work which is obviously what we are you know here to talk about on the podcast and and, and there's so many facets of that but I really enjoyed her widening into play and friendships and in mm. relationships. And she really went into even just the kind of playfulness between her and her husband and how she can kind of see different forms of play in different friends. And, you know, play doesn't have to be part of a friendship. And equally, friendship, you know, you don't need to have a deep friendship with someone to find, to engage in a moment of play with them. I just love that exploration of kind of the role that play plays in our friendships and in our relationships beyond work yeah and noticing how you feel when you're in a playful dynamic with someone so she was talking about you know there's that lightness mm. and that sense that you're laughing more and noticing those feelings and when you feel sparks like that with somebody mm. and I think often it's not necessarily friendship sometimes just I find I have random playful interactions with people yeah. on the street and those little moments are really enlivening and fulfilling and like make my day way better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the uh, phrase you used, which absolutely encapsulates what you're just saying there is how might we put ourselves out in the world in a playful manner? And it's mm. exactly that. It's kind of when you step out of your door. Yeah. How can you just seek out to, to also to bring some a little bit of play to someone else's day? And to just have that interaction with someone you might never see again. But it's, yeah, it's putting yourself out in the world in a playful manner. And I, I love that, that invitation and that um, encouragement, I think, in the, the, the conversation I had with her. I really um, love the idea of funtiventions. <laughs> and, yeah, just finding ways of injecting little moments into your day and taking time to do that like I think that's so important I think the the thing that made my jaw drop was that you know that horrible little screen reminder she was talking about about your screen time I mean mine's often five or six hours which is horrendous and mm. even at the four hours a day is like 60 days a year mm. it's just like wow I need to really address how I'm using my time and mm. And find ways of building more of those joyful, fun, playful moments into life outside of work. Completely. And I think part of that, a kind of practical way of thinking about how how do we get off screen, get out into the world and, and find more play, is, was this idea of how might we kind of proactively seek out, you know, we should call them fun magnets in our life. And mm. I think about when you think about people in your life, your friends, your family, your colleagues, um, you know, you'll have lots of fun, different kinds of fun with, with various members of people in your life. But I kind of spun up in this head and thought, wow, imagine if I, rather than just thinking about who I knew or how we knew each other, it was kind of how, who would I, how could I seek out more fun magnets? Like, what do I love doing? Could I go to something that other people might like doing those things? And it's kind of turning on its head in terms of I'm going out and I'm finding playmates, I'm finding 
people with whom I can have fun. And that's often, I think, not something we tend to do as adults with kind of busy lives. Um, but I love the idea of how, how might you go out and find kind of fun magnets and playmates that you could share a form of playfulness with. Yeah. And, and that sense of like just putting down our responsibilities sometimes and diving into the inconsequential and the, you know, seemingly meaningless because actually that's what makes life rich and fun mm. and juicy and enjoyable. So I've got a question for you, Suki. Yes. Tell me. Ask me. Is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, I'm in massive overthinking territory with this. I've been noodling on that. Oh, I think it is. On the thesis, and already, what a fun word, right? It's, uh, it's bread surrounding a filling of some sort. So for me, that's a sandwich wholeheartedly. Yes. What do you really? think? Yeah. You no, think, oh. it's not a sandwich. It's a hot dog. It's a completely different thing. Uh, so what hot dog is its own category? Yeah. <laughs> a category of one. <laughs> a category of one. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure that you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on our homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd love to hear about, guest suggestions or questions about the work we do with organisations, we'd love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest and we hope you'll join us then. <laughs>